to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Civil War reenactors do their best to recapture a fleeting glimpse of the past by doing what Civil War soldiers did. They wear uniforms of wool or cotton, fire their replica Springfields or Enfields, eat some hardtack, sleep in a tent. But how many of them go the next step and isolate themselves from women for months or years at a time? or look at pornographic images or read erotic novels in response to such isolation. We'll learn about the role that pornography played in real Civil War armies and the governmental response that has echoed through the subsequent 150 years from Professor Judith Giesberg, author of Sex in the Civil War, Soldiers, Pornography, and the Making of American Morality, today on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. Jared Prokopovich coming to you tonight, as usual, from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University here in Greenville, North Carolina. Not speaking, however, for the university, nor will my guest speak for anyone but herself, as we always do here. It's twilight, it's April, it's almost the end of the semester here at ECU. One more week of teaching for those who are teaching. I'm experiencing the odd sensation of an administrative appointment with no teaching responsibility this past semester. So I don't have the usual pressure of finals coming up, but there's every other end-of-semester report and uh, other paperwork due, so it's still piling in. But it's a different kind of year this year, certainly. It is... uh, 
not much else to talk about here. It's the year of a thousand likes, but we kind of slowed down in the past week. We're around 863, so more people need to like the page Impediments of War when you go to Facebook and click on the button that says like. We need to get a thousand before the year is over or something will happen. Don't know what, though. Uh, March Madness is over. No more basketball to discuss. The Red Wings are not in the Stanley Cup this year for the first time in since the Civil War, I believe. So I've got nothing to watch there. No local soccer games. Last weekend was Easter weekend. The league shut down. Uh, nothing to talk about tonight but the uh, Civil War itself, very curiously, here on Civil War Talk Radio. There are some interesting events coming up. One I mentioned last week, I'll mention again, is a a National Congress of Civil War Roundtables. This kind of thing maybe has been going on, I just don't hear about it, but uh, most of the time when I speak at a Civil War Roundtable, it, there's a sense that it's it's the only one. There There's not a sense of commonality uh, between them. Uh, they, they don't uh, they maybe cooperate with their neighbor in the next county but not statewide or, or nationwide or regionwide so uh, this coming year 2017 uh, September 16th there will be a Congress of Civil War roundtables meeting in uh, where are they going to meet in Centerville Virginia near the Bull Run battlefield if you're curious about it go to www.ps cwrt.org I think that is Puget Sound Civil War Roundtable .org slash Congress and learn about it. It's a one day event September 16th costs $30, space is limited any roundtable member from anywhere is welcome so show up and tell them what's going on at your place and find out what they're doing Another event in Virginia coming up as you I'm sure know about by now is the this Hallowed Ground Tour with StephenAmbroseTours.com, May 20th through 28th. I'm looking forward, as always, to joining that tour and talking about the sites that we'll see and meeting people from around the country and around the world. We had people from uh, different continents last year, and I know we have visitors coming from uh, overseas this year for the tour. So it's not too late to sign up, find out. Uh, how to do so at stephenambrosetours.com and come and join us. You can continue to find out what's happening here at impedimentsofwar.org, the Facebook page or the website, where you'll see that next week our guest will be Jonathan W. White, author of Midnight in America, Darkness, Sleep, and Dreams During the Civil War. Just when you think all the topics have been covered, people say, no, we've only covered half. We've only covered the daylight. Now we've got the other half. On May 3rd, Gary Cross, Gettysburg Licensed Battlefield Guide, will be with us to talk about uh, the battlefield. On May 10th, Drew Gruber, the Executive Director of Civil War Trails, will be along. I've selected a couple guests for May that will help get in the mood for going to Gettysburg and other sites along the Civil War Trails in Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland, with the uh, this hallowed ground group. So there's a little double double dipping there. On May 17th, uh, Michael McCarthy has written about the Battle of Five Forks. We've not heard that much about it. 
his book is called Confederate Waterloo, and it also talks about the controversy that surrounds the battle, so that should be interesting. And then on the 24th No Live show, as I will be on the bus with hopefully you and others touring this hallowed ground. On the 31st of May, we come back with Dave Powell, longtime friend of the show, and the third volume of his Chickamauga trilogy. And then just a few more shows before the end of the season in June, Kevin McCarthy will be bringing us a topic completely different from anything before, a jazz project titled The Better Angels of Our Nature, inspired by Civil War music. And we'll wrap up with Tim Smith uh, returning to the show with his new book, Grant Invades Tennessee. I'll be in Augusta, Georgia the following week talking to the Civil War Roundtable there, so we'll have no live show on the 21st. And then it's, it's time for the summer break, summer hiatus. I'll be traveling around a little bit, meeting more people to invite back to the show, and coming back August 30th for more live shows. You can follow all this, of course, at impedimentsofwar.org, the website. Mark Gaffney keeps things up to date there. He has put in a bookstore link where you click once. It takes you to the Impediments of War bookstore within Amazon, and you can buy books that you're hearing about on the show. All of this season's books are there, and many previous season's books are appearing one by one. And when you buy them that way, it supports the institution of Civil War Talk Radio just a little bit. You can also contribute directly to our book fund, book and paper clip fund, book and new set of headphones fund, book and whatever I want to spend it on fund. It's not a charity. We're past tax day. If you haven't paid your taxes, don't compound the evil by declaring your donation to Civil War Talk Radio as a charitable deduction because it's not, it's just for me. But if you do send us $25 or more, I will send you a copy of David Long's fine book, The Jewel of Liberty, Abraham Lincoln's Re-Election and the Abolition of Slavery, uh, a good piece of work from uh my late colleague and friend, David Long. And since you get the book, I get the money, but I will turn around and donate that to Civil War Trust in David's name. If we get enough people buying books, still got a few of them left, uh, the donation gets bigger and it's a way to recognize uh, David for his contributions. So everybody gets something out of that. Well, speaking of books, I was in Barnes & Noble not long ago and saw table they were promoting a paperbacks a book called 50 shades of gray and i thought this is great finally somebody's done a detailed look at confederate infantry uniforms uh the the inconsistency of fabric dye manufacturing you know why one unit had darker tunics than the other this would be a good show topic i thought so i got that book and read it and let me tell you what a disappointment don't waste your time uh, it's it's not a it's all about sex, uh, and with that in mind, uh, tonight's book, Sex and the Civil War, is also. But you won't be disappointed because you know what you're getting into when you get it. So let's find out what happens with sex during the Civil War from our guest, uh, Dr. Judith Giesberg, who returns to the show. Uh, Judy, are you there? 
I am. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. As uh, last time I asked you how things were going at Villanova, I think there were where, where you teach. Uh, since then, my school where my daughter goes, uh, UNC, played Villanova in the national title game last year. Yes, and they did. We, we just don't want to talk about that here in North Carolina. <laughs> So, uh, no, no, and, and I, I think um, everybody, nobody at Villanova wants to talk about basketball at all this year. <laughs> no, thing, things didn't go go the same, obviously. No, so, no, but always an exciting um, time of year. It, it is that. Now, our show tonight is, uh, of course, about your new book, uh, Sex and the Civil War, but I want to change gears completely and ask you about Information Wanted, uh, your recent project that has been featured on CBS News uh, in the last day or so. Sure. Uh, this is uh, about want ads or personal ads appearing uh, at, at the end of the war from, well, well, you tell us what it is. Sure. I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, so... Um, anybody who um, is listening can you can uh, find uh, the results or the, the, the sort of the results of this project on informationwanted.org. Uh, but these are um, ads taken out by former slaves looking for family members who they lost uh, most of the time in the domestic slave trade, uh, but also sometimes they, you know, they got separated during the war or um, enlist, you know, the, the enlistment of a U.S. colored troops uh, soldier um, might have separated him from his family. But there, these ads, um, uh, you know, some, some ads were actually taken out even before the war, but very few of them. But the ads really start to show up around 1863, 1864 in a trickle, and then they just, um, you know, they start to flood into newspapers in the, in the post-war era, and they're, they're quite extraordinary, uh, very short, you know, maybe three to five or maybe six sentences long, and they're, they're uh, very sort of potent reminders of um, black family life, how it survived during slavery and the efforts that former slaves were willing to go through, the lengths they were willing to go to, to try to get their families back together. So and where are you finding, how did you come across this project, I guess, is, is my, my question. Um, well, I've, the first time I saw these ads was in uh, the Christian Recorder, which is um, the official... Uh, publication of the AME Church, uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and uh, the it was published here in Philadelphia, um, uh, the Christian Recorder, and it's really quite an extraordinary source. Um, it's still being published today. It started before the war, and it's still still published. Uh, but the war, the the um, newspapers is um, a really great way to, to to study black life during the war and afterward. Um, it you know it covers things of interest about the U.S. colored troops and and beyond that, um, and you know always from the perspective of people of color. So this newspaper, I've used this newspaper for years. Probably a lot of other folks who've studied this period have used this newspaper to find out 
you know, the black perspectives on politics and other events that happened during the war. And these ads, I've always seen these ads. For years I've noticed these ads and thought I really, you know, think these ads might be useful to people if we could collect them all in one place. And you know the Christian Reporter, of course, if you are a university like you and I, Jerry, we can, a lot of university libraries um, subscribe to this service where you can get these, you can get this newspaper digitized and you can find anything you want mm-hmm. on it. But for genealogists uh, who are not affiliated with the university, they don't have, a, they have a lot less access to newspapers like the Christian Recorder. So what I thought would be good at some point was to collect all these ads and make them available to people beyond that considerable paywall. Uh, so that's where um, that's where I you know I first started noting these ads, and that was the the idea behind um, getting something like this up and and out to to people who could use it for all sorts of things, um, you know, for for civil war, for research about black families, but also for genealogists, and probably even more for genealogists. Yeah, that is uh, someday we'll have to do a show about the, the intersection between genealogy and history, and and the amazing technological developments that have affected both uh, both disciplines. We're going to have to take a short break now and then come back and talk, jump right into uh, your book, Sex in the Civil War, Soldiers, Pornography, and the Making of American Morality. Our guest tonight is Dr. Judy Giesberg. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. 
talking today with Judy Geisberg, author of Sex in the Civil War, Soldiers, Pornography, and the Making of American Morality. Now, most listeners, I'm sure most of you have read at some point Thomas Lowry's book, Soldiers, Stories the Soldiers Wouldn't Tell. Uh, And of course, uh, Tom has been on the show to discuss it. And listeners, you know from that book that contrary to whatever empirical evidence you may possess, sex was not invented in 1978 or whatever (laughs) years you were in high school or college, but actually existed during the Civil War. Uh, Lowry presents some contemporary illustrations, quotes some letters, but Judy, you in your introduction point out that you take a very different approach from him. Could you talk about how, 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 how your book differs from his? Sure. Yes, and I have to say, um, you know, that that his book is is uh, is one of the inspirations behind this this book, and he has been, um, as 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 your listeners know, very generous in um, in, in sharing his work in court martial records, mm-hmm. but also uh, when I first expressed an interest in in doing um, a book on this topic, he was. Um, very willing to sort of sit down and talk with me and tell me, you know, about his process. And, and he actually has collected items, quite a number of items over the years, and, and was uh, welcomed me in to, to take a look at um, things that he has collected. So um, I've always, I, I've, I found that book to be fascinating. Um, the, the book um, is, in my mind, sort of representative of that sort of collector that is Tom Lowry. Mm-hmm. He does you know, have a considerable collection of, of materials that are both sort of, you know, um, um, related to the medical history of the war. He, you know, has this massive database of court-martials that people have run into all the time and made good use of. And he also has collected, um, you know, uh, CDVs and other things. And he has, over the years, collected um, items either, you know, produced for soldiers or by soldiers of an erotic nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the book, um, you, you know, reflects that because he, he presents this, uh, these materials, these items that he's collected um, as evidence that soldiers, as you just said, right, um, sex wasn't invented in, in, the, in, in, the, in the, you know, 20th century, late 20th century, that, that soldiers had sex and, and they were sex, sexual beings. Um, mm-hmm. So, and this project is really about sort of um, thinking about what that means, you know, what it means that this, that, um, that these men had access to, this, to these materials, but also um, the, the project really, you know, the sort of second path toward this project began when I discovered this 1865 measure uh, passed in Congress. Uh, you know, toward what, what we know now as, as the, toward the end of the war, um, but congressmen passed in, in um, beginning of 1865, they passed a law outlawing pornography or, 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 you know, an attempt to keep pornography out of the federal mail. And, and so sort of coming back to that after years of, you know, years before talking to Lowry about his project and then seeing that congressmen themselves were concerned about these materials, I thought this is, an, you know, the, the sort of an interesting moment to think about what they were concerned about and what sense Civil War Americans made of this stuff. Um, so, so that's where I come at this, is, is to sort of think about what it meant to them, mm-hmm. uh, these items that they saw and they circulated and um, they shared, 
And then what about it uh, raised concerns among congressmen? Now, this kind of material, you point out, was around before the Civil War, but there are some technological changes that make it different uh, in the right. wartime era. Uh, can you talk about that? Sure, yeah. I think, I, I, you know, the, the timing here is everything. It's, it's, it's um, you know, the, the, the moment of the war um, is a moment in which this technology is, is you know, is, is changing quite rapidly from, um, you know, just the, the, the printing technologies used by... Um, you know, the dealers in this stuff, they're, they're able to produce, you know, mass produce um, items, um, uh, you know, quicker and cheaper. Um, the, the technology of printing, um, and they're able to, you know, um, to do that much in a much quicker way. But they're also, the, the technology is also, um, you know, um, regarding delivery of the mail, of course, by the end of the war, most mail would be, you know, a lot of mail um, in the United States would be delivered uh, by railroad, you know, railroad, which is in, in and of itself is, is, a, is a, an important um, technological development that will allow um, the rapid circulation of pornography. Um, but then, and then, I, I, you know, probably more than anything else is the, the, the rapid um, development of different photographic technology, you know, that, that coincides so nicely with uh, the advent of the war, everything from photographs to stereographs uh, to, you know, all sorts of different miniatures, um, carte de visite um, and stanhopes and just, you know, sort of an explosion of new um, ways to sort of capture images, uh, which um, all makes for this sort of moment in you know, a very, and then, then you sort of layer on top of that this concentration of men in in, in camps, right? And and uh, you have a speedier way of getting the materials to them. Uh, so yeah, so the, this this moment in, in of the Civil War is is sort of this very potent moment for the circulation of this kinds of you know, for the printing of this material, for the selling of this material, um, and for the um, um, consumption of this material. You tossed in a word there, the the Stanhope. The uh, I had I learned about that from your book, the micro photographs. Uh, right, right, yeah, yeah. And you know, um, the the first thing I had to um, the the first sort of thing I had to figure out was where 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 is this? Where did this stuff beyond sort of people you know private collectors like Lowry and others who have this stuff in their you know, in, in their possession, where, where do you get this stuff or where do you find this stuff? It's, and, and, and erotica was not um, necessarily collected. It was not archived. A lot of archives don't have this stuff. Um, and it certainly doesn't show up in a lot of private collections. But one place that, that I, you know, the first place I thought of when I thought about doing this project was the Kinsey Institute in Indiana, which turned out to be um, a really important um, you know, uh, source for me, a place, pl- place to find a lot of these, um, these materials. And, and it, it was there that I, I was introduced to these Stanhopes, uh, which are um, small uh, bead size images or images that are, you know, captured in a small glass bead uh, that you um, 
would embed in uh, items, you know, personal items. So you could have one um, embedded in in uh, the handle of your cane, or um, you know, in a, in a in a pistol, or in looking glass, or or something. And they were intended for you to sort of personally um, enjoy the image. Uh, discreetly, um, you know, you could be anywhere in, in public and just sort of hold up the hold up your your cane, perhaps, or your walking <laughs> stick, and and enjoy enjoy a Stanhope. And because of the rounded beads, you you know that you, you you were able to sort of see it, even though it was very small. It kind of magnified the image. I guess something. Well, maybe not. I was thinking of the viewfinders. But those are more like the stereographs. When you look through the view mm-hmm. viewfinders, you sort of have that image of walking into the you know that sort of. 3D image, but these Stanhopes were, I had never heard of them either, Jerry, until I went to, to the Kinsey Institute, and they've got, you know, they just have an incredible collection, and what, what strikes me is so, what was so striking about spending time there is that, um, you know, they have, they have um, uh, collections of every, you know, every, every time there was a sort of a new photographic technology um, invented, and developed, uh, they have uh, they have a good collection of them, and it seems to me that every time there was something new produced like that, they did a couple of things. They they produced images of exotic landscapes, you know, Palestine, Niagara Falls, places that you know that that people would desire, you know, would want to travel to but couldn't travel to. They they produced mm-hmm. um, images of that, and then the next thing, and this is just my perception, maybe, but the very next thing that they produced images of were of, of naked women. Um, and it seemed like you could find, um, you could find examples of that for everything, whether it was, you know, photographs, stereographs, um, Stanhopes, other sorts of, um, these miniaturized, uh, photographs. And, and that doesn't seem to have changed in the sense that as technology <laughs> develops the internet, I'm, I'm, told by reliable sources, you can find pornography on the internet. I have heard uh, that as well. And if you've ever um, seen the Broadway show or listened to the Broadway show Avenue Q, there's a great song there that, that um, I think captures that very well. And it's, it's the song's title is, uh, the name of the song is The, um, the Internet is for Porn. <laughs> and and uh, that, that make actually I have heard that song um, on Dr. Demento or somewhere, but uh, um, the, the pornography we're talking about uh, includes these images, uh, cartes de visite that, that listeners are familiar with, also, uh, but also prose, also uh, novels, explicit novels, right? Uh, covered in yellow covers. It reminds me of the the plain brown wrapper that was used for mail uh, right. mailing dirty books, maybe you know before the internet, uh, right. uh, thirty or forty <laughs> years ago, uh, right. people. A plain brown wrapper was synonymous with something you didn't want people to know about. But originally, these were yellow covers. Right. Right, yeah. And they were, I think, because, or at least they were associated with sort of the cheapness of the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, that they, or they, that they referred to this sort of yellow paper, a yellow covered, um, you know, uh, books or yellow colored pamphlets as these sort of, um, cheaply produced and mass circulated um, items, and 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 yeah, and 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 then the, and then the yellow colored um, literature, or yellow colored pamphlets. That just sort of that became euphemism for uh, uh, erotica. But interestingly, um, 
the United States Sanitary Commission also produced, uh, mass-produced hymnals and other sort of what they would consider right reading material and, 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 and sometimes produced it on this sort of cheap, cheap paper with these cheap covers, yellow covers. So, I, 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 you know, though I never found examples of it, you wonder if, if sometimes this stuff got confused <laughs> in a way that, that neither, neither the erotica dealers nor the United States Christian Commission um, ministers would have anticipated. That, that does – it's an entertaining scenario possibility there. <laughs> it is. It's sort uh, of like that schoolboy school who is trying to disguise his playboy by, you know, s- slipping into his algebra book or something. Exactly, and they don't want to be caught with that. Right, right. You show that this was fairly common, these kinds of materials, uh, whether they're novels or or photographs, were not not at all uncommon in military camps. Certainly, uh, the examples you give are are Union armies. Uh, I want to ask about how people related to these, in particular... um, uh, Lorian Foote has written about the the idea that the male ideal was to be either a gentleman uh, restrained and, and, and in control of yourself uh, and your desires. But there was also another male model of, of being a, a tough guy, a rough guy, a, a violent uh, person. And right. In the army, she, she argues in the Union Army, you have a conflict between these two styles. Uh, how does pornography relate to both of those styles? Right, right. I love that book. I, I, um, I think that is, has been so useful to sort of thinking about um, uh, the gentleman and the rest, just sort of thinking about that, mm-hmm. you know, those conflicting notions of manhood. So, I, you know, what I found most interesting about um, the, this erotica, and that, and that book is also just striking if you sort of think about the way she describes the ways that the gentlemen were able to... Um, we you know we're able to sort of set the rules and to and to and to enforce sometimes quite of uh, you know uh, quite graphically they were I mean quite violently they were able to sort of force their enforce their notions of manhood um, uh, you know when they, because they controlled things like court martial uh, court martials mm-hmm. and things like that. What I find interesting about this um, the circulation of erotica um, was that it suggests that. Uh, that the gentlemen didn't always win, or they maybe they didn't always set the rules. So um, you know, or they didn't necessarily police the rules as well as as they 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 thought they did. Uh, because um, you know, one of the things I talk about is, is sort of the ways in which um, erotica survived on a way of uh, looking at. People or sort of observe that they were, you know, that they wanted to, they they expected to, to circulate this stuff and share this stuff, and they expected to be able to sort of watch each other and see each other. And there was a way in which the, the circulation of erotica gave to the roughs some ability to kind to to sort of control these situations. It wasn't always sort of the gentleman's rules. Uh, that that ultimately uh, succeeded. Sometimes these, um, through the circulation of erotica, uh, the rough still set the rules. The the the, the gentleman's self restraint did not always extend to uh, refusing to 
to take a look at what was being passed around the camp then. No, not at all, no. And, and, and uh, some of these court-martials show uh, these, you know, what would have been, you know, these men who certainly would have fallen under the category of, of gentlemen, um, also being quite familiar with uh, what was being read in camp and, and, and songs that were being sung in camp and just sort of other um, things that were related to sort of the culture, uh, the sexual culture in the camp that, you know, that we would sort of put in the same category as this, this erotica. They, they, um, uh, their restraint stopped at, at that. I think there's, there, was a, there was a productive side of this erotica, too, where you know, it could bring these men together who were from different parts of the country, different classes, sort of different notions of manhood. Uh, when, they sat, you know, when they sat in these court-martial proceedings, they all seemed to know what this stuff was, and they, they, they understood its circulation in the camps, and it didn't, obviously, it didn't necessarily, um, you know, they, they were not necessarily as concerned about it as, as, as the lawmakers would be by the end of the war, but, but yeah, I think you're, I think that's, that, that sort of captures it. That, that uh, as, as Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart famously said about pornography, I, I know it when I see it. Right. Uh, the, these soldiers, these officers, they all knew it, they, it, they were not strangers to it, uh, even if they didn't approve or openly partake of it. We're going to take another short break now, come back, talk some more about the topic of sex in the Civil War, soldiers, pornography, and the making of American morality with Judy Giesberg, the author. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. Voiceamerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. Voiceamerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit voiceamerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. Voiceamerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome 
to Civil War. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Judy Giesberg, author of Sex in the Civil War, Soldiers, uh, where are we, Pornography, Soldiers, Soldiers First, Pornography, Making of American Morality. The it, It's a fascinating book that looks at a topic not frequently addressed and in shows the the proliferation of erotic materials in soldiers' camps, and especially what they what they meant, how they helped define the soldier experience. Uh, Judy, one person that you talk about in particular uh, comes up after the war. You mentioned already that near the end of the war, the United States Congress began passing laws to limit, uh, the, to give postmasters authority to take material out of the U.S. mail that they thought was uh, erotic or pornographic in nature, that they could uh, begin to censor the mails. After the war, a Civil War veteran named Anthony Comstock uh, begins to play a major role in the suppression of, uh, of obscene materials, as he defines them. And you trace that to his Civil War experience. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Anthony Comstock? Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, so he he seems to me, or at least the way I understand him, to be uh, an important link. I mean, I think it was, you know, at some point in time in this project, I realized that, you know, that, that the concerns about uh, what young, you know, what men were reading in camps set the foundation for, you know, that, 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 those were sort of, that was the first congressional effort to, to talk about this, to define this material, and to control it. And then the next, and, and the next one was, of course, the Comstock Law passed in, 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 in 73. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and so, I, you know, I, I, real, I realized these, these two stories were somehow related, and Comstock seems to, is, is sort of the Where's Waldo, right? He's the one that sort of appears uh, in both of these stories. Yes. Um, and, um, and, 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 it, and in, in his post-war anti-porn campaign or crusade, he, you know, portrays himself as this sort of lifetime warrior, that he's always been sort of fighting, um, you know, fighting wars, uh, the post-war the, you know, the sort of after the Civil War war uh, against erotica dealers um, and, and, and dealers in obscenity, or as he liked to call it, the, the term he liked to, to call it, um, you know, followed his um, experience as a soldier. And he sort of, that's the way he portrayed himself, right? That he's always been, you know, he's always fighting one battle or another. And, and first there was the Civil War and then there was, right, then there's this much longer battle um, against uh, the circulation of these erotic materials, and so you know, so I and I had ever actually never realized that he had served in in the war. I mean, that he was a veteran. I always sort of separated him out as as this sort of post war Puritan. Um, uh, but to discover to discover that he was that he fought in the war, um, you know, was was uh, was interesting. And then so I, I I wanted to find out how much of what he told about his Civil War experience jived with what we know about the regiment uh, that he served in and, and, um, and found that, right, that he really told, he told us a story that was very at odds with what we know about his regiment, that in fact by the time he, he joins his Connecticut regiment, the regiment is 
um, you know, um, a mostly sedentary force in, in St. Augustine, Florida, and they're really not, he's really not going to see battle. He won't see battle uh, with the 17th. And, and um, yet when he writes his biography, he, he talks about how he, he sort of, everything he learned about fighting wars, he learned in the Civil War, right? That he had, you know, there he had faced down danger for the first time, and, right? And, and, and you know, he had, he had um, performed under, you know, um, sort of under fire, uh, none of which, you know, um, made any sense, right? <laughs> because we know where he, you know, we know the regiment that he served in, and none of that, none of what he sort of portrayed as a Civil War experience was was accurate, um, but it fit his purposes to sort of you know to to, to parallel these these two wars that one war you know or to sort of think that one war um, prepared him to be this sort of warrior to to rescue young men. Um, there's not a whole lot that we have left to study to look at him. We do have a little bit of of his diary left from his war from from the Civil War that he kept during the Civil War that gives us a little sense of of his experiences during the war. But his regiment, the 17th Connecticut, did serve. Uh, they fought at Gettysburg, and his brother yeah. was killed in action. Right. Uh, and so, and the, the 17th took tremendous losses. Then they go to recuperate yeah. as a garrison in, in Florida. So he joins them. So he's with all these guys who have seen the elephant, who have yeah. been through this. His own brother has lost his life. Right. And here he's the, this fresh guy who doesn't do any of that, and he decides he's going to be he's going to be Captain America. He's going to start learning all the drills better than anybody else. And the other soldiers really don't like him. No, no. He 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 reminds me of Frank Burns. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes, yes. He he the the would be self proclaimed hero can't understand why other people don't like him. So he's just they play tricks on him all the time, and he doesn't get it that tricks are an invitation for you to respond. You want to be one of the gang. You 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 come back the same way. And, right, and right. He doesn't do and that. He doesn't. No, he doesn't get it. Um, and he kind of and he kind of and he complains about it. He sort of whines about it in his yes. his diary that you know they just you know they're 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 not playing nice with me. Um, and, and, yeah, and 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 uh, and then I think you know, and then then he. You know, it, it seems like he spends the rest of his life trying to to to, to rescue young men from themselves, mm-hmm. uh, well, and right, and and certainly that's how he portrayed his post-war, you know, anti-pornography crusade. Uh, but you wonder how much of it, you know, I, you know, how much of these are sort of, it, how much of this is sort of reflective of his own sort of internal struggles with not being accepted and mm. sort of being um, ostracized, uh, or just sort of never fitting into the culture of the camps. Did he marry? He does. He did marry um, uh, a, a woman who was. Um, I believe um, a, uh, a little bit his senior. They never um, have children of their own. They do adopt, uh, I believe, one child. Mm. Um, so he has sort of an, you know, he 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 has sort of this. Um, he he creates a sort of domestic life for himself, even mm-hmm. though right he he places himself in the midst of this um, battle to rescue men from themselves. He, he carves out some 
you know, a little space for himself to, to, to have a, a, what we would consider kind of a normal life. But uh, really, the, the, the thought that he's projecting uh, that his whole life spent, as you say, trying to rescue young men from themselves uh, is, is highly suspicious. And, uh, yes. Uh, and, and Comstock in the 20th century becomes a figure of fun. Uh, he does, he, yes. Yeah, he, he represents yeah, a, a, a the, ridicule, the right? I mean, that he is sort of, um, yeah, he's this sort of puritanical, this this you know delusional sort of puritanical guy who see you know who can see sex anywhere, right? That mm-hmm. anything he sees has got to be related to sex, and and it's got to be you know, and and we've got to he, he you know, and then it falls under his purview, and he's got to he's got to fight it, he's got to combat it. Um, yeah, yeah. There's you know, he's one of those people that you wish that there was more. You know that there were more um, of his personal papers extant, so you, you mm-hmm. know, so you could find out more about him, um, you know, and 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 find out what made him tick. Uh, but but there is very little that that tells us anything about his private life. I want to ask you about something you say in your epilogue because it it really resonated with me. The uh, I, I have sometimes asked authors on this show who've written books about battles uh, about how they describe the the effects of combat, the the actual casualties, and how how they fall on the spectrum between desensitizing and 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 uh, uh, just just ignoring the the effect of uh, people are killed, they become casualties, end of story, they're just statistics. Or at the other end of the spectrum, uh, a form of casualty pornography, uh, describing in in excessive detail the precise nature of the wounds, the splattering of the blood, the severing of the limbs. Uh, And and you address this at the end of of your book, the idea of, of writing about war as a form of pornography. Right. Could you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. Sure. I think you know. There's. There's certainly. Um, there. There. The. The. the you know, one of the things that people like so much about um, uh, war writing is the is the sort of rich description, right? That you know that 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 proposes or purports to take people back to that sort of moment in time and that particular geography and and allow them to visualize. Um, you know, combat or to, to sort of visualize that, that moment in time. And that's what makes, you know, so much of, of, of Civil War writing to be so compelling and I think so uh, attractive. Um, uh, but it's also, right, I mean, but it's also uh, that sort of, you know, that level of detail is also, um, I, I, it, you know, it shares much with the sort of ways in which we write about um, erotic moments and 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 it and it's the same kind of level of, of detail that we would we expect to find uh, in good pornography um, and I you know I think that's um, I, I just find that to be uh, uh, fascinating um, and and for me you know that 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 question that you said that you ask um, Mm-hmm. Some of your guests, I've thought about that before, and certainly Drew Faust has mentioned that before as well. Uh, but then when I found um, this uh, book called The Art of Real Pleasure that was written during the war by uh, 
a man who I wish I knew more about, um, sort of like an iconoclast, um, this Calvin Blanchard, who writes a, you know, who, who writes a critique. Um, he's, he's from the North. He's think he's from New York and he, he mm-hmm. writes this critique of, um, of the American, a, a, a state like, you know, the, the, the United States or the union, um, proposing to be or purporting to be sort of this moral arbiter and this and this moral state, yet it's fighting a war in which you know men are dying in in mass numbers, and it's so it's a it's a critique of war, and in the process it it, it it's also it's also erotica, right? It's it's sort of uh, imagines a state where uh, there is no war, um, but right everybody just loves and loves with whom you know whoever they want and with as many partners as they want, as, as much as they want. And it's this very interesting kind of uh, moment to think about how, um, you know, how, how a, 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 you know, a, a nation can, and can, can, can protect it or claim to protect its citizens from one, sorts of, one kind of immorality, right, but then it perpetuates another one, uh, which really brought me back to, to, to thinking about what we do as Civil War historians and that kind of rich description that we all love. Uh, but maybe also think about why we love it and what does There's, that mean that we love it. There is so much here in this book that, that also ties into your point uh, earlier in the book where you discuss abolitionism in pornography and the use of uh, descriptions of the pain inflicted on slaves and the indignities inflicted on uh, uh, women enslaved, which right. appeals to the, the reader's prurient senses for a good cause, but it is it not still pornography in a sense? Uh, so th- there is so much here. There, uh, we didn't even touch on your discussion of uh, marriage and the the need to protect marriage in the aftermath of the war uh, perceived by the government, which leads to these Comstock laws, and right. uh, as you suggest, has its echoes in in. Uh, it becomes related to laws dealing with abortion that originate with with doctors trying to protect their guild rights, right. uh, but of course that echoes today. There's, there's, we, we could talk about the recent Marine Corps scandal uh, of images being shared uh, through social right. media and how that relates to this, but there's no time. We're at the end. Uh, astonishingly, listeners, you will want to get this book. It is, uh, it is brief. It is, originates in the Stephen and Janice uh, Bros lectures in the Civil War era. Uh, Carol Reardon's book that we talked about a few weeks ago is a similar book from that lecture series. Right. It produces great, short, stimulating work. Um, and, and listeners, you will want to read Sex and the Civil War, Soldiers, Pornography, and the Making of American Morality. Judy, I wish we had more time, but thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jerry. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm